0: last Sunday I was able to enjoy uh, a monumental thing in our family uh, we uh, have uh, I have a brother-in-law and his uh, his wife had a daughter the same time we did and she uh, experienced her wedding on Sunday and it was just like a picture perfect event everything went very well and you could probably just Instagram the whole thing and it would be like one of those bridal uh, you know this is the ideal wedding, and they had planned it for a very long for a long time, and it was it was it was a blessed event, and I could just exper I could sense that God's spirit was upon the whole thing. Uh, she comes from a family that's very supportive. Uh, my my niece does, um, and, and and just seeing all of her life uh, emerge in such a way that this kind of was uh, a, a, a huge uh, change in her world and her life, and, and it just went wonderfully. And uh, Hannah and um, and her mom and dad, Steve and Renee, just had a great, great, um, uh, wonderful day that day, and it, it it truly was blessed. And I'm just thinking, this is this is just so awesome. How could how could it get any better? And then I shouldn't have even thought that because then it just started getting kind of weird. And the first thing that I became aware of shortly thereafter was my friend Brent loses his thumb. And I'm thinking, I can't even imagine what that's like. And when I heard how he lost it, I'm like, oh, yeah, chainsaws are not your friend. And... I'm just imagining all the pain that you're going through, and we're in the small group together, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling disconnected from being able to help as your friend and pastor, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's not a good sign, and I go to the airport, and I'm flying from Kansas City to, Dallas, or to Denver to see a friend uh, from college, and I'm looking at all of the Southwest flights, and they're all on time except for one. Guess which one? Mine and they said, uh, we're experiencing some uh, minor mechanical difficulties on this plane, uh, but it should be fine. And about two hours later, I'm getting on the plane, and they, they, they tell me that they've fixed it. However, there's another mechanical failure that was a result of the previous mechanical failure uh, that we need to also fix. And I kid you not, I'm a pastor. I was the only one not praying at that point so I knew that this wasn't gonna 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 go well but by the grace of God we made it uh, a few hours later uh, arrived in a city I hadn't been to in a number of years but I discovered whenever I got there I picked up a publication and I'm just trying to get some information about the city there we go that better and um, And and, and, and as, as I'm opening up the pages, it's telling me how much hippie lettuce costs, both medical and recreational. And I'm like, am I in the twilight zone or what? And... And so I go to my friend's house, uh, he went to Denver right out of uh, school, uh, we, were, we were very good friends, and he was the best man in our wedding, and our history goes way back, and he went out there, and he got a job with the Denver Post, and it went, went really well for a number of years, but then all of a sudden, uh, corporate life just began to press in on him so much that he got burned out. And he took his house, and he turned it into an Airbnb, and became an Uber driver, and Uh, for him it works because he can stay up till three in the morning and sleep till 11 uh, o'clock in the morning and uh, that's his life and he said you know I don't have the stress that I had I don't have um, the people trying to breathe down my neck about deadlines and all that stuff however I have some pretty interesting people coming in and out of my house and um, then he showed me a little jar and he said yeah this is all the stuff they've left behind and uh, and 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 he's not a smoker or drinker or even anything beyond that and he's like these are souvenirs and it was leftover marijuana and I'm like great in Ohio uh, I would be visiting you behind bars if you had that so he's like yeah this is just the way it is out here uh, people roll a little differently <laughs> but then as <sighs> that's pretty sad isn't it it runs deep to another life I lived a long 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 time ago uh, which I, I don't even see in my rear-view mirror anymore. But as he was uh, sharing with me the things that have, were happening in Denver, he described how in the, in the course of the 20 years that he had been there, it had changed dramatically. And ever since the passing of the laws for uh, recreational marijuana, he said, people are just flooding into, into town and even into my neighborhood, and, 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 and believe it or not, um, i 'm making out pretty good i 'm not even selling marijuana, and yet the valuation of my house went from one hundred and seventy five to eight hundred thousand just sitting on it and i 'm like, Wow, that is a definite upside, but what is the downside and he said well what what 's happened is just a a series of events that have resulted in a number of people being shut out of their homes. He said, the housing here is so, the need is so critical that they're three years behind on being able to find a home for everyone. Uh, So they have micro homes that people live in. And the bad part about it is the people that are on the the lowest part of the economic ladder who are really not highly functional, who had homes, uh, either got Uh, shut out because of tax uh, escalation or rents getting to where it was um, no longer economically feasible. And he said, you know, we have a lot of homeless people around my neighborhood because many of these people actually used to be somewhat functional human beings who had a home who were, because of demand, in various ways, uh, shut out of their homes. And now their whole mindset has gone from defeated to completely hopeless and despairing. And so whenever we went out for a walk around the community, I, I, I saw this firsthand because we kept running into homeless people everywhere we went. And there were two things that I noticed about them. Uh, one of them was the fact that uh, many of them had all of their personal belongings that they were either carrying with them or carting on a bike. And the other one was they kept talking, but only to themselves. And the language that they were using to describe the conversation was all self-incriminating. It was all of this self-defeating language uh, about self-hatred and all of that. And I thought it's interesting how there's a certain segment of the population that is just living under a heavy, heavy curse. Other segments of the population that are hoping that Denver will be the promised land uh, for their for their their idol and that is their their pursuit of of smoking marijuana and then there are other people who are just saying that a lot is going on, and hopefully I can be gainfully employed and everything in between and there is in the Bible two words that i think would describe it very well and at the bottom of all of this that i think we have to wrap our minds around here in northeastern ohio and those words are blessing and cursing and in looking at everything that i saw unfold before me i saw i saw people that were blessed and i saw people that clearly lived under the heaviness of a curse and the one thing that i didn't see very much of were people who had a a response, a response from God that could help them not only wrap their mind around the predicament that they're in in a way that, that maybe could help them out, but people who just really had no comprehension of who the God of the Bible is that we've gathered to worship today. And many of us who even have that perhaps don't understand the predicament very well either. And that's why we're going through this message of this series of messages on Genesis 1 through 11. Now, how many of you have heard of the good news, the gospel? Okay. Practically everyone in here knows the good news. But what is the bad news? And some people will say, well, the bad news was I was having all these problems. I met the Lord and the Lord truly was a big help. And on a personal level, that makes all the sense in the world. But some of us who have really wondered about not only is that bad as far as the pain and the struggles of life that we have that draws to the Lord, but how it runs so deep. And the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are what God has provided for you and I to have a basis to make sense of everything that we see. Why is it when I go to work it's frustrating? Why is it that after so many years my friend had to quit his job at the Denver Post? Why is it that you and I have struggles in our relationships with uh, people in our family or people in our, our circle or people at work? Why is it that I feel the pain and brokenness of people around me so much? And the heaviness just goes on and on and on. Try to distract ourselves with the television and we find that It's clearly there as well. And as you read the first 11 chapters of Genesis, did you know that practically everything that we face in the life that we have been given in the 21st century is actually the result of events that happened in those first 11 chapters? And we've been covering that uh, piece by piece up until now, and I think we're probably into our fourth week of just exploring it. Last week, uh, Matt Cutler did a fantastic job covering the flood, but what happened after the flood is something that we need to pay attention to today, because the word is, how is it that we can find blessing when we feel the heaviness of a curse? And the curse may be something that we've used other language for. It could just be frustration. It could be our own hardship of the moment. But in a sense, we feel that heaviness, don't we? And as we do, God is looking at each of our lives and he's saying, I don't want you to stay there. I actually have better things in store for you that I want to give you. And they are called blessings. And they've been there the whole time. But the problem is somehow we've lost our way. And in Genesis chapter 9, which is near the end of those 11 chapters, we're right after the flood event. And as we begin to see humanity start to form again, it it, it focuses on a guy named Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their, their, their wives. And somehow, People who read this hundreds and thousands of years later were asking the question, why is the world that we live in so jacked up? And when this was written, it was trying to give an account for that reason. So we read a story in Genesis 9, and if you've ever decided, I'm going to read the Bible, and you think, like any book, I'm going to start at the beginning, and you start reading it, and you're thinking... Interesting, weird, scary, and maybe you get to a book like um, Leviticus, boring. And then after that, you're like, I don't know what to make of all of that. But if you've just read the first 11 chapters, you know that even there, there's some stuff that is hard to wrap your mind around. And as a person trained to understand the Bible, I I found a a couple of passages that I've had to dig into a little bit that, believe it or not, as weird as they are, they say a lot to you and I in the world that we live in. And so in Genesis 9, verses 18 through 28, uh, we read a rather strange series of events that happen within a family. And um, it's PG-ish, uh, so I don't know if there's kids in the room, but um, the word naked is used just as a forewarning. And maybe I should have put it on the marquee, maybe this place would be full this morning because they'd go, be, huh, what, what's going on in there? So... Uh, Not to provoke that or exploit that any more than I have to. I just want to look at these verses. So in chapter 9, verse 18, um, we read this. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, And told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. And when Noah awoke from his wine and he knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed, there's that word, be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. But he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Now, if you've ever read that, you may be saying, What exactly is going on there that was so bad about? about a son seeing his father naked and now his own offspring are going to be cursed into perpetuity. What's that all about? And it's just the Bible's way of being discreet and for the people that first read that in their own language, it, it, it they, they kind of understood what that meant. Uh, as the Bible describes the nakedness of Noah, that's where uh, people had to do a little bit of digging to find out what that meant. Um, a lot of A lot of minds turn to the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 18, that word is used a lot in that chapter. And it essentially means this. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. And then he goes on to talk about uncovering the nakedness of your relatives and uncovering the nakedness of animals and on and on into very dark places. So if you've caught the drift yet, when the Bible uses the word uncover the nakedness of, it usually has a a very charged sexual connotation. And the Bible's kind of discreet about that in the story that we're paying attention to, but that really is just letting it it all just... uh, out front and center. And what people took away from that was that God had specifically designed us so that we had boundaries that we, we lived in that would make our lives blessed. And he essentially said, beyond these boundaries, there, there's monsters, there's chaos, and it really is the land of the curse. And a lot of people were saying, There's a group of people, and they're called the Semites. They're the Jewish people, the children of Abraham. And they come from one of the sons named Shem. There's a group of people that come from the sons called Japheth. And there's a group of people that come from a son named Ham, who had a son named Canaan, and they became the Canaanites. you with me so far? All right. I know it's you know it's, uh, it's it's getting a little bit late in the morning, but um, hopefully you can track. So in all of that, people were beginning to see how each of those sons ended up having a whole bunch of children that became clans and nations in and of themselves. And like any people group, they all started to take on their own characteristic. And in 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 reality, the descendants of Ham, the Canaanites, ended up saying. God, or whoever you are, we don't want you. And so we're going to make up our own rules. And for the most part, there just won't be any rules. And those people settled later in what was called the land of Canaan. And eventually, as you fast forward the story, God called Abraham... Abraham had a bunch of children and 400 years later they were in Egypt and then after that God through Moses was leading them to the land of Canaan, the promised land, and he said I want you to take it over because it's, it's an insane asylum there. The most wicked things imaginable are happening there and there's a reason why and it starts with this story that we're looking at. You see, God has designed us as human beings to function a certain way. His goal is to take every one of us in this room and richly bless us. But, like so many things in life, in order for relationships to work, we have to agree on certain things, don't we? We have to agree how it is that we're going to relate. And if if I could give you an example, the Bible uses a word called a covenant. And it's an agreement between God and, 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 and his people. In this case, uh, the children of Abraham or Moses or even Jesus. And it's his way of saying, if it's going to work out between us, these are the things that we need to do. And if you do that, you're gonna be, it's going to go well. There won't be really any, any real drama. But if you don't do it, it's not going to go so well. And a lot of God's people said, we understand how relationships need boundaries. There just has to be appropriate ways of relating to one another that add value to each other. And there are ways that when we relate to one another that are dehumanizing to other people, it's destructive. And God says, I want every relationship to be healthy, but it only works when you do it according to the covenants that I've created with you. Hopefully you're with me so far. Another example would be if you've ever owned a house and you had the banker give you money for a mortgage, that banker is saying you can live in that house and do whatever you want within that house and just enjoy it to the extent that is possible. Except for one thing. The covenant says, if you stop paying your mortgage, it all goes away. And so many of us are like, we can agree to that. Those are good rules. It makes sense. And as long as you abide by that, it just works. And you could apply that to a marriage where the covenant that is sealed before God and other people is God's way of saying, you, you agree to commit yourself to each other in a way that honors me. And as a result of that, I'll bless you. But whenever you decide that you're going to deviate from how that covenant is set up, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get ugly in ways that you can't even anticipate. Now, I, I don't want to go into that in any depth because I know that many of us have been in, in those situations or the product of those situations, and and, and it's never easy But what God is saying is the ideal thing for you to wrap your mind around is if you want to know love and joy and peace, patience, and kindness to each other, then I've created covenants to empower that. But if you want to step out of that covenant and do it your own way, it, 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 it's, it's going to go from bad to worse. So what happened? Where did the curse come from? Why, of all things, was Ham's son, Canaan, who's not even in the equation, why was he cursed? And a lot of scholars have said, as they've studied the text, they've said, well, what's happened here has a strong sexual overtone. It involves a, a husband and a wife that have been drinking a lot and probably passed out and then there's a son who takes it to a perverse level. The Bible doesn't say how that worked out other than to say that a boundary was crossed. And when the boundary of how God has created things get crossed it's just the door to chaos. Now the funny thing about the Bible is that it tells a lot of stories that kind of say the same thing. The history doesn't repeat itself, but it definitely rhymes. And in, in the course of the writing of the first 11 chapters, God looks at creation. He looks at the people. He even looks at you and I, and he says, it's good, it's very good, and I want to bless you. But I've created you a certain way, and the only way that I can bless you is for you to, to honor me in your life. And when you do, It's just the way things are made. But in the scripture we find that there is a story of two people whose eyes were opened and they saw something that they weren't supposed to see. Because they ate something that they weren't supposed to eat. They committed an act that was beyond the boundary of what they should have been doing. And in the process, it just completely came unglued. In this story, it's kind of the same pattern. A guy sees something going on that he is not supposed to see, and he takes some part in something that he's not intended to be a part of, and the curse falls on him again. And there's a lot of us in the room who maybe have seen boundaries, crossed boundaries, and felt the unintended effect of crossing those boundaries. I would pretty much say all of us at one point or another have probably done that and I would say that some of us are in this room because well you crossed the boundaries and it broke you and you felt like there had to be a means by which you could just get the thing back on the rails or maybe you were looking for a redo and God who is so merciful and so gracious and in so many ways is trying to woo us back is just standing there saying I want to make a means I want to make a, a, a means by which you can you can come back. You know if you've ever read the story of the of the of the flood you could you could say the headline might read God destroys the world through a flood but you know what the reality is it's God created a second chance so that it could get back in order again. But the scripture reminds us that we are prone to sin. In the New Testament, it says we all do it, we all fall short of the glory of God. And what it also tells us is that there's a way, and it's not a flood, but it's a bloodstained cross. It is God's way of immersing himself into the chaos that we have created and calling us through the love that's poured out in that moment to a way of life that recovers the blessing. You see what Ham did was he initiated a behavior that his children saw and then they started imitating that behavior. And then their children saw that behavior and they started imitating it to where it went from possibly just looking at the nakedness of your parents or something a little sketchier to by the time that nation was established it was it was, your wife, a family member, an animal, and who knows what else. It just completely Completely and totally went fully into that, wherever that impulse would lead. And God looks at that and He says, That kind of anarchy is not what I made you for. You know, I thought about the people that I had seen on the street in Denver. And to a person, everyone that I got close to, I just thought about all the condemning voices that they. Had allowed to overshadow everything else that might capture their attention. And I realized that they, at an extreme degree, carried that same sort of regret that many of us carry because of things we've done. And the thing that I wanted to, wanted to tell them and, and anybody else who had the capacity to listen is that you don't have to stay there. That God is always in the business of reclaiming lost and broken things. Hopefully in a community of people that enable that process in a way that you can't find anywhere else. One of the reasons why I went to visit my friend is he's around a lot of people. But he's also a lonely person in a sea of humanity. And he's been connected to churches and communities and things like that but many of them just kind of broke down and then eventually he just withdrew and he was a little stuck. And I just felt like the need, I care for him, the need to go out and help him and maybe get unstuck a little bit, maybe to bless him if I could. And I believe as I prayed and God led the conversation, I believe that both of us were blessed by the experience. And as we talked, we said, you know, the thing that really is helping us here is just the social aspect of kind of pulling ourselves out of whatever we are into. And did you know that by design, God has made us to be a community that hopefully is functional enough in a way that we can love, that we can offer grace, can offer forgiveness, we can overlook other people's shortcomings, while at the same time, being, being a source of blessing to each other. That's what God wants. Because it is not out there right now. I don't know if you've read the news lately or not, but it's the land of Canaan out there. I mean, if you want to talk about broken relationships, I mean, the government has just recently came out with a report that, for example, pedophilia is at an unprecedented rate in our country. And so many people are living lives that perhaps are blessed on many fronts, But they just carry this weight of uncertainty and hopelessness and despair and just a chronic unease. And then I see other people who carry something different, who live in the same places, confront the same uh, dysfunctionality all around them, but have a peace and a love and a joy. What's the difference? Well, I didn't get to the blessing part of the text. Because as Noah said to him, what you did is just opening Pandora's box into chaos. And time definitely bore that out. But what Shem ended up doing was trusting God. And it was hit and miss until Abraham... But then it began to flow into a people who said there's a way of life out there that seems to be pretty jacked up and there's a way over here that seems to be pretty blessed and it is God's way. And God has called the descendants of Shem to be representatives of who he is to people that don't know him and are broken and lost and cursed. And he essentially said, I'm going to dwell in the tents of Shem. That is, where people see the children of Shem, they'll see me. They will see me reflected in their lives. Now, if I can just end the sermon here with a, with a thought as as we, as, we, as we wind it down. And that is, as God is looking at... The gravity of the circumstances that we 're in he has already been at work to provide a hope beyond the hopelessness that has been painted for us, and that 's a two thousand year old gesture of bringing himself into the world, experiencing the the, the, the scarcity the lack of um, The lack of uh, many resources, abuse, uh, to some degree even exploitation, and then finally being arrested unjustly and then dying on a cross willingly. As a result of that, he's speaking volumes to us that I have entered into the depths of the curse so that I can provide a way to blessing. And I'm speaking about Jesus. And how on the other side of the curse that he endured on the cross. He transformed that into a pathway for blessing for all of us. Now sitting in this, in this, in this room a few weeks ago. Was, was a lady who had been a blessing for a very long time. But had the burden of her own health failing. And this week while I was gone. She passed away. And I thought about the weight of her burden. And I realized that she already carried the hope. And the promises. That were given to us 2,000 years ago. And she really had nothing to despair over. Because the promise that carried her along. And the blessings that God showered along the way. Were sufficient fuel. For the full blessing and the realization that she would be with God forever. When God came into our world, it was with one desire. And that was to bless us like he made the world, like he made us, like he gave us life and breath. Like he destroyed the evil of the world and reset it again. And like he's called you into this room. Maybe out of cursed circumstances... So that you can hear it as well. And what God may be doing in your life right now is saying, you don't have to bear the weight of the curse anymore. Because my son has taken that upon himself. So that you can follow the pathway of the empty tomb. And the scripture is so confident in what it says about that gesture. That Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And this is my offer to you. It says this. Therefore, if anyone, anyone, and that includes you. Anyone is in Christ. He or she is a new creation. The old is passed away and behold the new has come. And it's God's way of saying You don't have to remain stuck where you are. I've come on into your situation to show you socially and relationally that there's a better way. And one of our aims here is to just embody that and imitate that as best we can so that the one who called us originally can use us to call you. The one who has blessed us is wanting to bless you through us. And that's why we're here. And the, the degree that we get that right is the degree that God can really use us to be that blessing. And the degree that you're open to receiving it is the degree that God says, that's how much I'm going to give it and even more. And it's all because of one person who was the game changer. And that's Jesus. So I want to, I however I can, invite you into that critical relationship that is the source of the blessing for the life of every follower that he calls. And he may be calling you today. And if he does... Well, maybe it would be like my conversation with my friend John. He said, you know, I, I was pretty stuck when he came out. And I didn't realize just how stuck I was until we just started talking. And it really helped. And maybe the conversation that you need to have in your life is with him and people that hopefully can help speak for him. Would you bow with me? Father, in this moment where we are at the intersection of cursing and blessing, each of us in the room brings some degree of the frustration of the curse into this environment. I pray, Father, that you just help each who are here to release it to you. Because the bloodstained cross is your way of telling us, I'll take that. And in return I will exchange that with my blessing and my blessing in its greatest form is just the presence that I offer to you through my spirit that wherever you go I will dwell in your tents like I did those people long ago and my presence will change all of those things that you can't character of who I am will overflow into your life. Lord, I just pray that as you promised that, that that would happen in every life here as we conclude our time in your word, that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen.